Our next speaker this afternoon is Margie Ross. Marjorie Grant Ross graduated from Dartmouth College with a bachelor's in English in 1981 and earned her master's in journalism from American University. As a child, Margie dreamed of becoming one of two things, either a Broadway singer or the editor for Wall Street Journal. Although she never went to Broadway, she still had a very animated career. She became the first person outside the Regnery family to ever hold the title the president of the Regnery Publishing, initially joining as president, vice president and general manager in 1999. Regnery previously had six books on the New York Times bestseller list in its 52-year-long history. However, under her strong leadership, they placed 48 more books on the New York Times bestseller list in just 12 years. She oversaw the launch of several imprints, including Regnery History, Regnery Kids, and Salem Books, as well as the rebirth of Regnery's historic gateway imprint. Prior to that, Margie was the vice president and senior group publisher for Phillips International, where she ran several business units, including investment newsletters, business newsletters, and health new newsletters. At Phillips, she developed deep expertise in direct marketing and branding, as well as publishing and celebrity management. Margie was blessed with strong female role models in her developmental years, one of them being her first boss, an entrepreneur who started her own public relations firm. Margie herself is an inspiration to young undergraduate women and would be a great option for an on-campus lecturer. Margie was ranked one of the 100 most influential Republican women in 2017 by Newsmax. She received CBL's Women of the Year Award in 2005 and is an active member of our board. She is a private consultant and the loving mother of four daughters. Please join me in welcoming Margie Ross. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Nice to see you. All right. Um, Amber, that was great. I, uh, I, there, I was taking notes. There were a lot of interesting parallels, actually, with what um, I want to talk to you about today, which is leadership. And um, as you could clearly see, Amber has developed uh, a great leadership style. And as we all know, out of adversity comes leadership. Um, and that's a choice we all make. And, um, and I want to talk a little bit today about how uh, some of the choices you can make and how you can cultivate a leadership style that I think will be uh, successful, that has been successful for me, and that also will honor our conservative values and the things that we, um, I think, share in terms of the principles that we want to um, build not just our careers on top of, but also our lives. Um, as a conservative, uh, a Center for Conservative Women board member and um, conference speaker, I've spoken to thousands of young women, very much like you, and I've always been impressed with your courage and your leadership. Um, as president of Regnery for 20 years, I've interviewed, hired, supervised, mentored, hundreds, maybe more, um, of remarkable young women of outstanding leadership as well. So the first thing I want to say is, and this is really a perfect segue from what Amber was talking about, is that your leadership has never been more important than it is today. We need your leadership. Um, you are, here, here's where we'll start. You, every one of you, um, you're a terrible threat 
to the progressive narrative. You know this. You're young, intelligent, college-educated women, but you don't share the radical left view of the world. Um, you don't share their progressive values that have taken over the culture. So your very existence, even if you don't say anything, your existence undermines their narrative. And your leadership threatens their agenda. That's why they cancel, exactly as we've heard. Um, that's why the left will do anything they can to silence conservative young women. They're also relentless, particularly in their efforts to keep conservative women out of leadership. Um, so you have to do what we always do, which is you have to be better at it than them. And I'm going to try to give you what I think are the four principles of successful, powerful leadership. Um, but I'm going to start with a strategic advantage that we have, that conservatives have in leadership. And I want you to remember this. The left thinks leadership is about power. We know that leadership is about service. And if you keep that in mind, you will not only be incredibly successful, but you will be better at it than, um, than the left is. And kind of see that with what's going on in Washington today. Um, so remember, leadership is not defined by telling people what to do, but by you knowing what to do and then helping everyone around you be better at doing it, whatever it is that needs to be done. Sometimes you'll do that by instruction. Sometimes you'll do it by example. But a great leader is always serving the people around her. And when I say leadership, I really mean leadership broadly defined. So leadership on campus, leadership among your peers, leadership in business, leadership with your family, leadership in your community, leadership in your church. Um, there are lots of ways to be leaders. And every single one of you will be a leader in some way in your life. Um, so as I say, I'm going to give you the four elements of leadership and give you some specific advice on, on how to be good at those things. All right, we're going to start with the first one. Um, being a good leader for your organization is the, is the first element of leadership. How do you do that? How, how, do, how do you lead an organization? And here, to me, the principles that I think have made me successful and that I've seen other successful female leaders embrace. Um, the first thing I recommend is that when you are leading a group or an organization, you need to communicate the destination, but not the route. All right, it's kind of the difference between goal setting and micromanagement, right? So always think about, I want to communicate to the group, to the team, to the people who are looking to me for leadership. I want to communicate where we're going, where we need to get to, but I don't need to tell everybody how to get there, right? People get places in a lot of different ways, and I've learned that over my career, to not be worried that someone is getting to somewhere in the right way, but that we all know where we're trying to get to. Um, here's something simple and small. Don't ever forget it. Um, always give people a deadline. I can't tell you how many times uh, in my career I have seen you know, projects, assignments, emails, requests, questions. And if you don't have a deadline, 
you don't know what you're supposed to do. You don't know how much time you have. You don't know when the person is expecting it. And you are doing, so I, I know people, there are some people who perceive being given a deadline as someone being bossy. And I suppose I have been accused of being bossy, but, um, but I think you're doing people a favor when you give them a deadline, right? So they know what to expect. They know how long they have. They know when you are expecting to get whatever you've asked them to do. And at the outset, if they see the deadline, they're like, okay, there's no way I can get this done in time. At least they have the opportunity to tell you that. So you as the leader of a project, a group, an organization, a company, you can plan accordingly. If somebody says, okay, you said you needed this by Friday, it's gonna take me two weeks. Okay, it's better to know that at the outset than to not tell them you needed it by Friday and they're working on it and you don't get it and they didn't know that's when you needed it. So always give people a deadline. Um, a similar thing that I have, and it's a small thing, but, um, but I've learned in my career that sometimes the small things make a big difference, is I try to end every communication that I send with asking, telling somebody what the action is that I want them to take. Give them an assignment. Tell them what you want. It can be as simple as, let me know you got this, to, you know, prepare this memo and get it back to me by the end of the day, to please spread the word to the people you know, whatever it is, tell people what you want them to do. Give them an action to take at the end of a communication. They'll feel empowered, they'll feel that you trust them, and you do, and they'll also know why the heck you sent them the email in the first place, right? They'll know what they're supposed to do. Um, I, uh, I worked for a, an amazing entrepreneur and business owner for, um, for a big part of my career, and he had a rule that every business communication, every business communication, should start with one of these three things. Thank you, congratulations, or good news. Now, you will immediately be thinking of examples of things. There's no way that I can start this with, you know, I once had to fire someone. <laughs> Thank you. Good news? No. Congratulations? <laughs> no. Um, so, of course, thank you for your years of service. Thank you for working so hard. Thank you for trying, but it just didn't work out. It is incredible that when you test it out, how useful those three phrases are and the um, rapport and the relationships you can develop with people um, by doing that very thing. I'll tell you a story. I, I had to sever a relationship with a vendor to Regnery that had been doing a particular job for us for 17 years. And we had just outgrown them, right? It just got to the point where they couldn't really keep up with what we needed. We were their single biggest client. It was a big deal for me to cancel this contract. And I, tr I gave them all sorts of you know, remedial steps and chances, and eventually it was obvious that we were gonna have to part ways. And, I, um, and so I sent my <laughs> thank you for your many years of service. It's been, you know, we've really appreciated everything you've done, but it's come, the time has come that we have to part. And, um, Many years later, Regnery got sued, and the, um, the author was accusing us of something that we hadn't done, but 
it was back during the day that we had done business with this, organ this company. And I had to call the CEO of this company and ask him if he would come testify for us on our behalf. And he came in in his beautiful suit and sat in, it was, it was an arbitration, so it was in a lawyer's office, a very fancy lawyer's office, and there was a judge who was the arbitrator and the author and his lawyer were on one side and my lawyer and I were on the other side. And the, this gentleman came in and he sat down and he was amazing. And he said everything we needed him to say. He confirmed that everything we had said was true and everything the author said wasn't true. And I was a little nervous. I mean, I thought we had parted on good terms, but you know, I had fired him. So, um, and afterwards, you know, I, we were out in the hall and we won. And, and I thanked him and he said, well, I'll never forget how you, how graceful you were when you ended our relationship. And I thought, wow. I never thought that, I never thought I'd be in that position and I certainly didn't really think that following that rule of thank you was going to pay that dividend. I didn't do it for that reason, but it just reminded me how powerful it is um, when you're in a leadership position to make sure that you nurture relationships and that you treat people with respect and even when you are ending a relationship, you still try to end it on a good note. And it, it absolutely can pay dividends. Um, another thing that I think is an important element of leadership in terms of running a business or an organization is to recognize the difference between men and women. And that seems to be a point of confusion today in our culture, but don't let it be um, for you. And here's what I have found, and, and I'm sure this will sound familiar to you, but what I have found in business, by and large, is that men usually like competition and women like consensus. Obviously, there are exceptions to that rule. I like competition, but in general, women are more motivated to seek a consensus, and men are much more motivated by the spirit of competition. And so what you need to do as a leader is try to, frankly, nurture both of those things and leverage both of those things. Um, and, and to me, the key is this. As long as competition doesn't become destructive, it can be really healthy. And as long as consensus doesn't become paralysis, that can be very healthy. So if you try to stay um, you know, in the lane of keeping competition healthy and consensus productive, um, I think you can, you can actually tap the strengths of everybody in your organization. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I think there are two ways to do that. Um, one is in the kind of culture you create for any organization that you lead. Um, in my experience, there are two types of culture. There's a success breeds success culture, and there's a zero-sum game culture. And the zero-sum game says there's a finite amount of success in the world, and so if you get it, then you don't, right? And if I get more, you get less. And, um, and that breeds a very unhealthy competition, and people don't like to help each other in that kind of environment. I have been very fortunate in my career to work always in, um, in environments of a success breeds success culture. So I encourage you to, um, 
to look for places like that and to embrace that idea in any organization that you lead. Success breeds success. When you have a culture that um, for which that is the central value, then everybody wants to help everyone else because if something you do is successful, that means your thing, the next thing you do is has a greater chance of being successful. If, if, if one person helps the organization succeed, that's good for everyone. So I encourage you to embrace that kind of mindset. The other thing I recommend as a way to kind of balance competition and consensus is to make sure every project has a champion. Things don't happen unless somebody attaches themselves to it. It does not always have to be you, but it's really good when you have an important project or initiative or just task that needs to happen that you identify and communicate who the champion is for that. Again, when you assign something to somebody and they know they own it, it, give, it communicates to them that you trust them, that you respect them, that you think that they're capable of taking care of it. Um, and you know, my experience is when you want somebody to achieve something, set really high expectations. Do it for your kids, do it for your um, friends, do it for your colleagues. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's a key to leading an organization. So first element, of successful leadership to me is are some of those ways that you want to operate in running an organization. But the second thing you have to do is you have to be a good boss, right? And a, and a mentor for your people. How do you lead people, not just the organization? So the first thing I would say comes back to um, the principle that I started with, which is leadership is service. And you have to demonstrate that service is not the same thing as being subservient. So I'll tell you a story from my very first job. And you heard that one of my early role models was a woman who ran a um, PR firm. That was my first job, was working in this little public relations firm. All women working there started and run by a woman entrepreneur. And she worked all of her clients. I mean, and I want to say all of her clients were men. She worked in a world of men. She specialized in real estate development and high, um, high volume, high dollar, um, you know, buildings of hotels and shopping centers and um, big apartment buildings and condos. And um, and one of her biggest clients was having a grand opening of a hotel. And I remember seeing her, and she was standing next to him, and um, holding his coat and his drink. And I remember thinking at the time, good Lord, she's not like his maid. What is she doing holding his coat and his, his, uh, his drink? And then I watched what was happening and she was making sure that he was talking to all of the media people who were there to interview him. He turned to her for advice every five minutes. He credited her with helping organize the event and make sure all the important in, uh, media representatives were there. And I realized that because she wasn't afraid to just be helpful to him, to just support him in whatever he needed, she was his most trusted advisor. And she was. He relied on her for everything. And it was just a good lesson for me that, um, don't, that you shouldn't be afraid to be of service to people. It does not demean your position. And a lot of times, it will enhance your influence. Um, 
Another thing that I have learned um, is that when you are a leader, you cannot make everybody happy. And sometimes you feel like that you're a failure if you haven't made everyone happy. Um, so this is the way I look at it. I want you to remember, while you can't make everyone happy, you can make sure everyone feels heard. And my experience is that most of the time, as long as people feel like you heard them, even if you can't give them what they want, even if you can't solve their problem, even if you can't say yes to a request, you've gone 80% of the way there by making them feel that you at least heard them. So that, remember that the, if you think, well, I can't say yes to this, I can't make this, you know, satisfy this request, there is a, an alternative, there is a way to make somebody feel like you value them. Um, I always recommend, and I think this helps um, you mentor people and, and supervise people and have them respect you, I always recommend that when you change something, explain why you're changing it. It doesn't mean you can never change stuff. It doesn't mean you can't edit something, as I do in the book world. It doesn't mean you can't make a different decision or override somebody's decision of something to do. But I think if you explain why you're doing it um, and take the time to explain it, you do a number of things. One, respect them. Also, teach them why you're doing it so the next time they'll probably do it better. Um, and you're actually grooming them to eventually be able to do all of these things without you at all. And that's your ultimate goal. Um, and the last thing I would say about being a good boss and mentor is to make sure that you celebrate success. It's really easy to say, well, this all this is going well, so I don't need to pay attention to this. I just need to fix this problem. Um, and the danger with that is that you forget to celebrate your success. So make sure you celebrate success as a leader. Um, the third thing you have to do as a leader is develop future leaders, right? You have to run your business. You have to be a boss, good boss and mentor to people. You also have to bring along your bench. You have to develop the next uh, generation, the next set of leaders. And, and this is what I recommend in that area. Um, hire people smarter than yourself. It's actually really fun to hire people smarter than yourself. And um, if you don't, obviously, then the organization is never going to be better than you and you have set a ceiling on everything you can do. Whereas if you hire people smarter than yourself, if you hire people who are good at things that you're not good at, you magnify your reach. You magnify the, your, you know, what you can cover and, and what you can accomplish. Um, and you learn from them, which is fun. Um, one of my favorite things to do um, in my career, and I recommend this also, is Hire people who could someday do your job. Um, I think the worst leaders are the people who are afraid to do that, right? They're afraid that, well, if I hire somebody who could do my job, then someday I'll be up and I won't have a job and they'll take it over. No. I love hiring people who could someday do my job. That's good. Then I can do something else. I can, you know, I can go on to the next thing. I can, I can cover more ground. I can 
focus my energies on on something while they're doing what I'm doing now. Because if you hire somebody who can do your job someday, that gives you a next future, a, a future to do you know your next step. So I recommend that you do that. Here are two things you should not do. I have done both of these things. So I will tell you from experience. They're very tempting. Um, don't hire somebody or you know recruit somebody to make up for the last person's shortcomings. Um, it's really tempting to do that. When you have a staff or a group of people that are doing something and somebody is not good at something, there's a temptation to say, okay, the next person I gotta make sure they're really good at that thing. And while that may be true, it, that, is, um, a, that can be a pitfall of losing sight of what the entire job is. So remember to think about the entire job, not just the one thing that the previous person wasn't good at. The other thing um, you should be careful of is um, hiring people just like you. I love hiring people like me, but it's also really important to hire people who are different from you, right? It's similar to the hire people who are smarter than you. Hire people who are different from you. If you just hire people just like you, same thing. You'll just get what you can do, and, um, and you won't accomplish as much. You won't accomplish as much, they won't accomplish as much, and your organization definitely won't accomplish as much. So that's, that's another really important um, part of, I think, developing future leaders. Um, and then the fourth element to me of effective, successful leadership is taking care of yourself. I'm sure you've seen lots of leaders, particularly women, who give so much they have nothing left to give. Um, and so, um, I like to say, put your own oxygen mask on first. Um, that's a really important principle. And, um, and then think about how you want to balance your career and your family. And I know you're gonna hear some comments about this a little later, but I'll, I'll tell you um, a few tips I have from that. As, as you heard, I think, um, I'm uh, very fortunate, I uh, have a wonderful husband, and together we have five kids, four daughters and one son. Um, and, uh, but there was a time in my life when I was a single mom. My, I think you might know this, but my first husband passed away when my kids were 16, 14, and nine. And it was shocking and unexpected and, um, and made me think a lot about the, again, my work-life balance and what it meant to be suddenly a single mom and a working mom. And I had kind of two full-time jobs. And I tell people when you're, you know, when you're a working mother, you basically have two full-time jobs. You don't have, you don't like, I don't think you balance things. You just do both of those things full-time. You are a full-time mom and you're a full-time, um, you know, worker in whatever your career is. Um, so I've learned a few things and, um, and this is what I would share with you in terms of being successful at leadership as you try to um, navigate being a working um, leader um, and, and mother and, and wife. Um, first piece of advice, choose a good husband. <laughs> 
It's really important. Um, and that, you know, the, the definition of a good husband is, of course, different for every person, but in a lot of ways, it is somebody who shares your values, someone who um, has the same sort of outlook on family and work and career and faith um, as you do. Um, and then here's the second part of that. Choose a good husband and work hard at being a good wife. I think in our culture, there, um, it's, it's kind of okay in pop culture to be a good mom. Nobody talks about being a good wife. And, um, and to be honest, it's something I did not think a lot about until my first husband got very sick. And I started asking myself, what does it mean to be a good wife? And what's my responsibility to my husband to be supportive of him? Um, so choose a good husband, work hard at being a good wife. Second piece of advice, again, this is from my personal experiences, involve your children in your work. Tell them what you do, explain what you do, explain why you do it and why it's exciting and why it's valuable to you. Um, make them feel included. With For me, I guess it was probably easy because I, you know, I my career has been um, primarily in the world of books and that's pretty accessible. Kids understand books and I would take my daughters into the bookstore and we'd look for regnery books and we'd find them on the bottom shelf or behind the, you know, bathroom and, and we'd bring them up to the front and we'd put them up there and we'd take all the liberal books and we'd shove them under the bottom and that was a, a game that we would do. Um, we would, I would sometimes bring home different jackets that we were considering for books, you know, a book jacket and let them vote on which one they thought they liked and kind of explain how we, how we chose them and I just tried to involve them so that they would feel respected and they would understand what I did and why it was important to me. I know there are some women who are like, um, and some people who say, you know, I draw a really strict line and when I get home, it's all family and then when I go to work, it's all work. And that just didn't work for me. That wasn't the way I approached it. I, instead of balancing, I just blended everything. I would bring my daughters with me, I would bring work home, I would talk about what I was doing and I felt like they understood why it was important to me. And they also felt a little bit like they were a part of it and they could kind of share in the, excess, in the success and the fun of doing it. Um, the third thing I recommend uh, as a working mom is to model the behavior you want and set very high expectations. Um, I set very high expectations for my daughters, not because I always expected them to succeed, but because I have incredible admiration and respect for them. So, and they know that. Um, I also, it's funny, people ask me, oftentimes people ask me, how do you get kids to read? How do you get them to develop a love of books? My you know, son often doesn't really like reading. What, what do you do? And my answer is read. Read in front of them, read to them, make reading a fun activity in your house. Kids love to 
imitate what their parents do. They always do. Even if they say they don't, they do. They watch everything. So if you love reading, there's a really good chance your kids will develop a love of reading too. And it kind of doesn't matter, you know, kind of, but they can read comic books. They can read graphic novels. They can read science fiction or history or business or, you know, workbooks. It doesn't matter. But developing a love of reading in your kids, I think, is really, um, is a really important um, trait to develop in them. And the last thing I would say about being a, a successful leader as you have a family is to make sure the people you love know that you think they're amazing. Don't forget to tell them. Tell them you think they're amazing. They probably are amazing, um, but it doesn't go without saying. In fact, in my world, nothing goes without saying. So tell them that, they're, that you think they're amazing. Tell them how much you appreciate them. And um, like I said, if you expect a lot from them and you treat them with respect, um, I think you will find that you can successfully navigate that, uh, that interesting path of being uh, a working mom. Um, so I'm going to say one last thing about leadership on campus because I know that, uh, that a lot of you are probably on the receiving end or have been on the receiving end of some pretty um, despicable behavior. So here's my advice. Um, because when you, when you are on the receiving end of a nasty attack, it's really hard not to respond in kind. And, and I don't recommend, I agree with Amber, I don't recommend that you just roll over. I definitely don't recommend that you apologize. But I also don't recommend that you respond in kind. And it's really hard not to, it's tempting, right, to react to a verbal assault or social ostracization with your own, you know, slap back. Um, it's, and it's really hard, really hard, not to rejoice and celebrate when your opponents, when the people on the other side are suffer or are embarrassed or fail. But what I want to challenge you today to do is to strive for what I like to call principled servant leadership. And I think that means you let your example be your devastating retort. Let your integrity and your honesty expose their lies. Let your determination and your commitment astound them. <laughs> and let your compassion confound them, because it will. They won't know what to do with that. Um, because remember, you are role models. You are already, every one of you are role models for your friends, for your colleagues, for younger sisters, for coworkers. And I believe that if you embrace this mentality and if you treat leadership as service, um, you will not only be successful in your own right, but you will be the lighthouse in the storm. That's it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I think I can take a couple questions also if anyone has questions. Yes. Hold on one sec. I think they're recording this. So here comes a mic. Uh, mic? 
Lindsay? Okay. Thanks. Right up here in red. My name is Alexa Wiseman, and I'm actually a current marketing and publicity intern at Regner. <laughs> How's it going? It's going really well. Good. Um, I am completely, like, I'm very familiar with the conservative movement and all the college organizations, but I am very new to book publishing. Um, I just wanted, was wondering what advice you would have to someone who's new to this type of world and industry. Uh, in terms of trying to get a job or trying to be successful in it? Yeah, just being successful yep. in book, pub book publishing in the like PR side of it. Right, too. right. Um, I actually think there's a huge amount of opportunity in conservative book publishing right now. And part of it, ironically, is because the left has become so intolerant. Um, it is very, very difficult for conservatives to get published by mainstream um, publishing houses these days. There, of course, are the mega celebrities who still get publishing deals, although I criticize them sometimes for, for taking the money, um, because uh, the, the, the bias against conservatives in the mainstream publishing world is vicious. It is really bad. Um, but it actually has created an opportunity in the on the conservative side. There are more publishing houses popping up. There are a lot of very good conservative PR firms and agencies and reps. So I think, um, I think you should stay in that realm and look for opportunities like that. I think you'll find a lot of them, which is exciting. That's Thank you. Hi. Um, I loved your talk on leadership. Would Thank you. Would you have any advice or maybe any tips um, for people who, sorry, for people who are in politics and they want to stay kind and Christian while avoiding being aggressive but still being strong? Yeah. No, that's a really good question. This city is very tough, and working in politics can be. Um, it can be very difficult to be, yeah, to be kind and to be respectful and to be, um, <laughs> and to bite your tongue. Um, I think one of the things that can be really helpful is to just find a few other people that share your values. And they're there. Sometimes people, as you know, sometimes if you speak up, there are other people listening who are like, oh, actually, I agree with that. I'm going to go try to network with that person. I'm going to try to meet with that person. So I would say try to find other people who, and you can find it through organizations like this um, or, you know, other Republican offices on the Hill, other, you know, organizations that are politically involved here that lean to the right. But I think one of the best things to do when you're feeling like, wow, this place is a, just a viper's nest, is to find a few people that you share values with, who agree with you, and having a, just a little bit of a support network can give you the strength and the courage and the um, commitment to stay true to those values rather than kind of, you know, sinking to their level. That's what I recommend.
Uh, one more. Do we have a mic somewhere? I don't know where the, do you still have the mic over there? That's fine. Go ahead. Um, I've had the opportunity to serve a lot of different student leadership roles and all of that. Um, yep. And just like I've come across, you know, like being a woman in leadership um, can be difficult. And so, like, you know, obviously you do want to be kind, but sometimes you also have to be assertive. Yes. Um, and so, um, but like if you're assertive as a woman, sometimes that um, people like to call you names. Um, I've been called very pleasant <laughs> names um, by some people, and but like if and I were to take that same match, and he would just be considered, you know, a strong leader. Right. Uh, so how do you balance that? Or like, what would you suggest? Right. So a couple things. Um, one is, I think, it's going to sound simple, but it's true. If you say something strong and forceful with a smile, it makes a big difference. So don't forget to smile. That's the first thing. Second thing is, don't take it personally. Just don't. <laughs> Just re remind yourself that they are reacting to something that's not you. And I think if you approach things with a smile, and you know, if somebody calls you a name, so what? I mean, it's more about them than it, it's everything about them, and not really very much about you. So I think. To a certain extent, there's a you know thick-skinnedness um, that you need to develop, and just remember not to. Just, one of the things that I have found useful, and I've always told my daughters, is when somebody does something mean to you, it probably has nothing to do with you. It probably has something to do with them. And I will tell you a story. My uh, <laughs> my middle daughter came home from middle school, which is the you know the nadir of of childhood and um, and motherhood probably um, middle school and um, and she's you know some one of her friends she said walked by her in the hall and didn't even say hello and didn't even make eye contact and she was devastated and I said I am sure that that is not about you it's about her and when somebody does something oftentimes you find out later something was going on in their lives that or happened in their childhood but something was going on in their lives that made them do that that had nothing to do with you and the next day she found out that that girl's dog had died the day before i know which was sad but it was great because it was such a good <laughs> lesson right and she never forgot it my all three of my daughters talk about that they're like remember when the dog died right it is just a good reminder that when somebody does something to you it says a lot more about them than about you. And so if you can think about it that way, it's a lot easier to let it bounce off your back and not take it personally. Okay, one more. Do we have time for one more? Okay, yes. Hi, um, my name is Katie. I first want to say thank you for coming and speaking to us. Sure. Um, but you also talked a lot about how you've mentored students in the past. Um, so what's something you would say this generation is mm -hmm. kind of lacking, I guess, or that we can improve on or really stands out for you as like someone who is, you know, publishing books and things like that? Um, I, okay, so the first thing that comes to mind, and I don't know that I 
have seen this as much, honestly, um, with conservatives as I have in general with the people that I have interviewed. But one of my favorite things um, in an interview <laughs> was when people, when I would ask people, I had a question that I would ask people in an interview. I said, what drives you crazy in a job? And my favorite wrong answer was micromanagement. And I'm like, yes, but you have no idea what you're doing, so you need me to micromanage you. That's not really the case. But I have found that a lot of times this generation thinks that when someone tell, gives them direction or correction, they're being micromanaged. You're not being micromanaged. You're being taught. You're being mentored. You're being led. And so, as I say, I think it's important to tell people the destination and not exactly how to get there. But it's also valuable for somebody who's done something a hundred times to tell somebody who's never done it before how to do it. And, um, and so I think my, my encouragement would be look at everything as a learning opportunity. Everything. Everything in my career has been a learning opportunity. I still learn things now. And I'm old. Um, so I would say look at everything as a learning opportunity and don't have your guard up about, oh, well, you know, I'm being micromanaged, so that's unfair or disrespectful to me. Instead say, oh, good. Somebody's taking the time to actually teach me something, share their experience, their knowledge, their wisdom, and someday I'll be as smart as them or as experienced as them. I'll have as good judgment as they do, and then I'll be able to do that for somebody else. That's what I would do. Okay? Thank you very much.